Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And we welcome you to a bonus edition of the podcast as we do a recap of the World Series and bringing my baseball correspondent Joe Finger back on to look at it all. And Joe, it certainly was not the most conventional World Series of the road team winning every game. Yeah, that's that's amazing, Jeff. Um, it's not a single victory by the home team. And I, I, you know, being kind of a statistics nerd, I said, I wonder what the probability of that is. And someone calculated it to be less than one half of a one percent chance of that happening, which tells you right there, this is this was something of a miraculous playoff this year, <laughs> especially with you know Houston almost being unbeatable at home during the regular season. For them not to win a single game, kind of hard to believe. Yeah, that is uh, that is amazing. And when you think about that, it was very interesting, too, the way the series ebbed and flowed. You know, Washington jumped out 2-0, and everybody was thinking, okay, their coronation's coming in a couple of days. Then the Astros win three in a row, and it's thinking, okay, well, it's going back to Houston, and they're going to win, and Yes. It turned out not to be the case. Yeah, and I was the same way. I think you know we talked about it last time, and I think we both thought Houston would uh, win this. But after they lost the first two games with their two aces going, I thought, well, golly, I'm not even sure it's going to get back to Houston in time. Washington's got the great momentum, and then lo and behold, Houston sweeps in uh, D.C. and and doing it rather convincingly, I might add. And I thought, well, you know. Um, they're probably just going to finish it off. We're going to look like geniuses with our predictions, but here come the Nationals again, rising from the brink of elimination and winning on the road. So you've got to give them all the credit in the world, and I think A.J. Hinch did exactly that. Uh, He said this wasn't so much about our guys choking. This was about a very good Washington team coming through when they had to. Yeah, and and they were facing elimination five different times and yeah. overcame that each time, and usually late in a game. Pretty pretty astounding. Yeah, you remember this? You know, they're a wild card team, and they were down three in that uh, wild card game against Milwaukee in the late going before rallying. So they just about were a quick one and done again, and then had to do the same thing against the Dodgers. Uh, a team that won 106 games. And then again in the World Series, and like you say, they scored a lot of their runs late in the game, getting to the Astros' bullpen and coming from behind when it looked like they were going to be out of it. I don't recall a team being able to do that at least at least uh, as many times as they were able to do it in the postseason in all the years I've been watching baseball. Well, and then you look at last night and you you, you see what happens there. They 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 get the big home run from Howie Kendrick, um, who had and I a remarkable give you credit here, Jeff. At some point in our recent conversations, we were talking about. Uh, who an X factor or a guy that might come through big, and I do believe you mentioned the name Howie Kendrick, and uh, lo and behold, uh, he saved the best for last in uh, Game Seven. Yeah, and you know he he was a big hero in the Dodgers series, and uh, he comes through big again. Uh, just remarkable, and, you know, and it's gonna it's gonna be one of those things that's gonna be probably etched in history, you know, with a with a home run off the off the fair pole, which I like to call it. Yes, it was off the fair pole, exactly. And you could just, you're just watching that, you could look at the expressions on the fans' faces down there. It was like, oh, tell me that didn't just happen. 
um, you know, and then it's late in the game, and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, we 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 had it, and it was taken from us in the blink of an eye. So, what do you think last night in regards to what Houston did tactically? You know, Zach Greinke oh, yeah. was pitching yeah, a there's tremendous been, there's game. Been, there's been a lot of chatter about that today. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I know that I think from what I've heard today, uh, you know, Hinch has been taking his lumps for that, uh, you know, on a couple of fronts. One, one line of thought is Greinke is pitching really, really well, as he was. Maybe they should have left him in. He had only thrown 80 pitches. And he did give up the home run in the seventh, but that was to one of the superstars on the other team. Yep. Um, or if you're not looking to have him go much further than six, maybe you bring Garrett Cole in to start that inning, you know, in the seventh. Or do you bring Cole in even after there's one out and one on in the seventh inning? Yeah. Um, so I understand the, the, the critique of that, um, but I don't think it was a totally – a ridiculous move. I don't know if me saying that puts me, probably puts me in the minority, but um, you know, I think Harris had pitched fairly well. Uh, he had given up a home run late in game six, but he had pitched fairly well. And um, and I went back and looked at the pitch that, that Kendrick hit for the home run, and that was not a bad pitch mm-hmm. from Harris. It was, um, it was a cutter. It was down and away. I just kind of nipped the zone, and Kendrick went down after it and got it and took it the opposite way. And there's an analytics report on that as well, Jeff. I don't know who had the time to, to look at all the tape, but uh, I read today where Kendrick had seen 28 cutters to that particular area of the strike zone during the regular season, pitches <laughs> that were comparable, and he only had one hit. He was one out of 28 with pitches comparable to what he saw last night. And, of course, that one came off of uh, Martin Perez of the Twins in September. Uh, but so it wasn't like it was a bad pitch. And, uh, you know, so he's taking a lot of grief for that, but it's not like he just grooved him one. Yeah. And I think the other uh, thing to kind of think about, too, is I think Hinch was probably trying to avoid bringing Cole in with traffic, rather wanting to start him off with a fresh inning versus having uh, traffic on the bases. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, you know, he's he's not used to coming in in a relief role and particularly not with a runner on base. But I heard some Astros fans today saying, look, he's he's the greatest pitcher in the universe. If you're going to make a move, uh, there is no scenario that outweighs the fact that he's the greatest pitcher in the known universe. (laughs) And you're going to kick yourself if you don't bring him in. So I understand that as well. And, you know, we could debate this back and forth. I think there are plausible arguments on each side. But I don't I don't think the decision was as um, drastically, irrevocably, as irresponsible as some of those who are upset by it would have us believe. Yeah, and then you would also, you know, Garrett Cole apparently has pitched his last game as an Astro. I had yeah. Robert Land from the Houston Sports Talk podcast on a couple days ago. Yeah. And yeah. he pretty much says, "Yeah, they're not gonna they're not gonna pay the freight," and uh, and he's definitely even in his post game kind of uh, said, "Well, I'm not employed here anymore." So <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. I mean, what was up with that? Uh, I am no longer an employee of the Houston Astros. <laughs> he says as he's wearing a Scott Boris Agency Corporation cap. <laughs> uh, now I think Cole's a pretty good guy from everything I know, but that was not a smart move. I don't know if that was something he uh, was told to do or had been designed to do ahead of time, but if I'm a, 
if I'm an Astros fan, the last thing I want to see in just minutes after a heartbreaking loss is him standing there saying, well, I'm no longer an Astros, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that, from a tactical, <laughs> that was a, talk about a bad tactical move. The optics on that were horrible, I think. And, t- and today, I believe he was trying to do a little damage control on social media yeah. as well he should. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I'm not sure who was behind that. But I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> very very strange. And then on the flip side, you know, Max Scherzer, you know, he you know he he was injured, had to tap out of uh, pitching Game Five, and they were able to bring him back in for Game Seven. And it wasn't vintage Max Scherzer, but um, you know he does, but he does enough. To keep keep you know, keep the floodgates from bursting open, to keep his team in it in a in a pretty pretty gutsy performance. Yeah, you know he's a battler. I mean, and I, you know I think uh, the players have a lot of respect for that. They're going to rally behind a guy like that. And you're right, he didn't have his best stuff. And you know the Astros had numerous opportunities last night to score additional runs. I mean, every time I looked up it was like they've got two on and one out, two on and one out, and they only end up with a, a couple of runs through the first uh, six innings or so. And I keep thinking, well, eventually Granky's going to be pulled. The Astros' bullpen is going to hit the hit the, um, hit the mound at some point in this game, and I don't think two runs is going to be enough to cover. And as it turns out, it was not. You know, same thing kind of happened in game one. Uh, the Astros stranded 11 runners against uh, Scherzer and a couple of relievers in game one. And then, lo and behold, here we go again last night. I, th- I think, to me, that's more of a factor than mm-hmm. the, the late game, um, or at least equally important as the, as the move with the, the bullpen late in the game, the fact that they had so many opportunities early um, but weren't able to push across more runs. Uh, they did hit the ball hard a yeah. couple of times. Uh, so maybe a little bit of bad luck, hitting into some bad luck. But bottom line is they, they didn't produce uh, a lot of runs despite a lot of base runners. Yeah, and I believe I heard a stat today that uh – um, uh, Altuve and, Bre- and Bregman both had big hits during the playoffs, but with runners in scoring position, they were like a combined four for 29. Yeah, yeah, I know Altuve, the last couple of games, uh, left some guys on. I remember him striking out, I believe, in game six with a couple of runners on in a key position. And, you know, uh, that, that's what happens. You're, you're that, you know, you're one hit away uh, from maybe wrapping this thing up. Um, but it just wasn't to be for the Astros this year. Yeah, it certainly wasn't. But still a great season. But then the other thing I think about the Nationals that uh, is is was was remarkable too was the bullpen work out of Patrick Corbin, a starter. You know, you're right, I, and I, that's an excellent point. We talk about Scherzer and what a gutsy performance he gave last night for five innings. But here comes Corbin and records nine outs, just. You know, up and down, up and down, up and down, smooth sailing through the sixth, seventh, and eighth frames as the Nationals are starting to plate some runs. Corbin is is uh, just mowing down the Astros, and so that that was a huge uh, factor right there. He was very effective uh, out of the bullpen in this series, and I don't think they could have done it without him because their bullpen, as we have previously discussed, has been a bit of a bit of a problem this year. But they they got the right guys in there at the right time during the World Series. Yeah, and you think about that, all the bullpen struggles they went through, uh, you know, they, they lose Bryce Harper to free agency. Uh, then you, you, you add in the, the, the fact, you know, they got this mix of veterans and young players like Soto, and you look at the, the vets like, you know, Zimmerman, the original national who, uh, you know, got yeah. to have, get the big stage, a guy like Kurt Suzuki, who's been, uh, uh, a terrific player, uh, for a lot of years, uh, 
and then you know, look at a guy like Para, who's like a ba- who barely plays, but uh, you know he brings the baby shark thing into the the equation oh, yeah. during the season, which yeah. kind of lights a little little thing with the team too. So you know, a lot is said about the word chemistry, and you know, it's you know, chemistry's like defined like you know when you win, oh, they got great chemistry, but when you lose, you don't have any chemistry. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's sounds I, like something sports writers would do. The team's going great until they're not, and then it's like they're horrible. Um, but uh, by all accounts, this team uh, did have good clubhouse chemistry. They really had to pull themselves up after that horrible, really bad start. I, we've talked about it before. They were like about 19 and 31, 50 games into the season. People were calling for Martinez to be shown the door. Uh, he hung in there, and the, the troops rallied around him. And, you know, they were one of the best teams, win-loss-wise, uh, coming down the stretch in all of baseball, which, which is why it's not a terrible surprise that they did as well as they did but yeah chemistry was was a was was a, a word that i think did apply to this team and uh, they they were the oldest team statistically speaking in the league los viejos the old ones but they mm-hmm. did have some young guys that mixed in very well there and boy it sure it sure worked for them uh, once they hit the postseason they they really were, were playing some of their best baseball of the season yeah and in, as we mentioned the last time too you know Davy Martinez was a was a hot seat candidate when things were going bad now he's a a World Series winner I did not I had forgotten that he had gone to what was a Lake Howell is uh what was <laughs> yeah I think I remember, yeah another Central Florida uh, connection for you there yeah and absolutely yeah, a few years back yep uh, we've had a few a few guys come from our neck of the woods here yeah for, for sure and here, here's another one now with the world series ring to his credit yeah no no question about it and then and then the other thing that i find amazing is all the guys who pitched for detroit and what was it 2012 all have a world series ring elsewhere <laughs> <laughs> that used to be the case with the minnesota twins jeff my, my wife used to kid me well the twins are a farm system for the yankees or the red Sox. they're gonna just wait until the, the, the great twins players are free agents and snap them up well detroit can join that uh, alumni club now because they certainly uh, have yeah have placed some great talent elsewhere and uh and here's you know another example with scherzer last night getting that world series ring yeah, and then you know Justin Verlander, who is O for the World Series. That's a oh, I was gonna yeah, that that was in my notes here. You know, Verlander, as great as he's been, what he's O and six mm-hmm. lifetime in the World Series. How how do you explain that? I, you know, it, it's just yeah, it's a very Kershaw like you know guy that dominates the yeah. Kershaw career. has struggled. Yeah, yeah, it's you, a, you never know. There've been some great teams too that you know, and I think you know the Astros have won over a hundred games three years in a row. Of course, they did get the World Series two years ago. Last year, the, the Red Sox were uh, a phenomenal team, yeah. um, and you know the Astros didn't make it last year. They they were back this year. I think most people thought they would win it again, but being the best during the regular season, winning 107 games, is no guarantee that you're going to win the World Series. We've had some great teams in the past. Um, I think back to and I'm going to go way back now to the one of the great. Uh, uh, Orioles teams of the late 60s, early 70s, they were in the World Series three years in a row, only won once. Um, I think there were some great Oakland teams in the late 80s that were in there, probably with you know, Conseco and McGuire. I think they got one ring out of that. Yeah, Braves were there um, a lot of times. Braves were perennial uh, NL champs or division champs for many, many years. And, of course, the, I, they got the one World Series ring uh, as well. 
Uh, so it's not necessarily who's played the best over the course of 162 games, but who can can make it happen uh, when you hit that postseason. Yeah, so now the big question becomes for the Nationals is do you pay Rendon? I mean, that's a, to me, is a big uh, question to their future. Yeah, he's in, the, in his prime. I think he's about 29 years old now, so he's going to command um, you know some huge bucks. And I know that... Uh, probably teams like I think the Phillies, maybe maybe Texas. Uh, I'm reading has uh, possibly expressed an interest there, so I don't know. Yeah, I've heard and, Texas. Strasburg, Strasburg as well, right? I mean, he he has an option. He you know he was three days, whether or not to um, exercise to the option, go free agent. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's some big things in play there. So. Yeah, it's a it's already interesting to start to think about next season, and uh, I it, you know I know like in Atlanta they've got the question: Do you resign Josh Donaldson? And I say you do, yeah. but then yeah. you know if you want to invest a lot of money, do you make a run at Rendon? <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean Rendon's in his prime; uh, he's an everyday player, uh, and if you need a third baseman, he might be worth it. Um, now, do, do you invest a long-term deal with megabucks in a starting pitcher? To me, that's always a little bit more of an iffy proposition. Yes. Um, sometimes it works out, sometimes it does not. Um, but we shall see. Uh, Cole, obviously, is going to be, I think, going to you know go wherever he decides to go with with the money. Yeah. As long uh, as it'll not, be interesting to see where he lands. Hopefully not with the Yankees. <laughs> oh, tell me, no. Goodness gracious. But, uh, they, uh, it'd be interesting if he ended up with Texas, Yeah, the Rangers. And they've got a new stadium, I hear, coming uh, 2020, and they're, and they're looking to jazz some things up. So if they've got the money, that, that would be interesting if he stayed in, in the state and went over and played with the Rangers. Well, what's interesting, you mentioned that. Uh, our old pal Jay Cresswell, who works out in the Dallas market, I had, oh, him, yes. I had him on the show, and he said, oh, yeah, they are – you know they were willing to take their lumps this this past season because they knew the ballpark, the new ballpark was going to be a key factor. You know, guys aren't going to have to play out in the Texas heat anymore. And right. They were going to be uh, going full bore into the free agency market. So that uh, that definitely that, is a yeah. big play. Yeah, that's a good point. With not having to be out there in the middle of summer with a heat index of 110 at 9:30 at night. I mean, yeah, I mean that's. That's uh, no small factor there. Yeah. Well, it was an interesting World Series. Uh, you know, so we both had the Astros winning. Uh, I think you had six, I had seven, but the Nationals yeah. end up being the World Series champs. And uh, what a, you know, this is, it's interesting now, this World Series uh, ratings wise has been uh, not, not, not real healthy. But, Pretty abysmal, yeah. Yeah, which you know, and it's in, it's intriguing because I've had more interest in this World Series, I think, than I have in a while. And of course, the thing that kills me with the World Series, especially with an early to bed, early to rise guy like myself, if yes. games take four hours and they start after eight o'clock, you know, you're talking midnight. It is. It is. You know. It, yeah. I, I don't. I don't quite know why the ratings were that low. Uh, baseball fans I have spoken to, Jeff, enjoyed the World Series. Now, the casual fan who might otherwise tune in, I'm hearing some gripes, of, um, much along with the reasons you just referenced. The length of the games. It's. Uh, kind of boring it goes too long and but you know baseball is not football baseball is not the nba i've always and we've talked about this before baseball is very um much a different pace at times and 
I like that, but I understand and can certainly understand why not everybody would. Yeah. Well, I tell you what. Oh, well, I almost forgot. Yeah, uh, we got to talk about the uh, the the uh, controversial Trey Turner play at first base. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. You know that's an int- that was an interesting call. I've seen much more egregious runs down the first baseline inside that weren't called. Um, you know, I mean, the rule yeah. is the rule, but um, that's one they're going to have to kind of look at. I think. I don't know. I, I guess under a very 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 technical one might even say anal interpretation of that rule maybe you could justify it but what turner did is no different from what most runners do all the time and to call interference on that to me was like you got to be kidding as it turns out uh you know the nats win it anyway i I think some of the nationals fans were worried that uh martinez you know he he had a little heart issue earlier this season he's i think he said later the fans were yelling at me davy davy your heart your heart calm down (laughs) it's only a game (laughs) but he was really hot yeah Um, but you know what it's but as they tell you sometimes it's good to get it out (laughs) yes yes and and the the troops rallied around him yes on that and and it's and it's all good now for the nats yeah no question about it well joe i think Thank you so much for uh, for your service with uh, with uh, being our our baseball correspondent throughout the course of the playoffs. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure, Jeff. And hey, spring training is how many days away now? <laughs> oh my gosh, it's uh, what what uh, we're talking about one hundred and twenty days, one hundred and fifty. Yeah, and I think and I think spring training tickets are going to go on sale for some of the teams probably in a few weeks. Oh gosh, so, so, yeah, just keep your eyes open. Yep, it'll be here before you know it. Joe Finger, thanks again for uh, being on the show. You betcha. And as we continue on this bonus edition of the podcast this evening, a pleasure to welcome one of my colleagues from the Nightline Sports Network, the co-host of the Sons of UCF. UCF Mike is here with us. How you doing this evening? Hey, I'm doing great, Jeff. Thanks for having me on, man. Hey, glad to have you on board, and uh, I understand you just got done trick-or-treating with the kids, so the big question is, did they bring in a good haul for Dad? You know what? Our neighbors did a great job this year. There was a lot of Reese's Pieces out there, and I already had about six of them, <laughs> so <laughs> there's a basket full of more, so I'm going to be munched on those all weekend, I'm sure. Outstanding. I love Reese's, too, so that's a, that's a good choice, uh, no doubt about that. So, Mike, last week, uh, you know, UCF goes into basically what amounted to a playoff game against Temple. Loser pretty much is out of the equation for the Eastern Division, and the Knights roll up a 60-burger. Who saw that coming? Um, I did. <laughs> no, I was just kidding. I didn't, I didn't think we'd put up 60 on them, but I did expect us to win. We made it look a lot easier in the second half. And won pretty comfortably. The first half was a little sketchy. You know, we had a, the turnover right before half to make it close. But really, we were in control of most of the game. Yeah, no question. And uh, um, it'll look like, too, that uh, the, the the Knights were able to get things figured out on the offensive line and get the run game going. And uh, Otis Anderson, man, he had a hell of a game. Oh, he was incredible. It seemed like he would get 10, 15 yards before anybody even got close to touching him. The offensive line did a great job. And a lot of the runs right up the middle, which a lot of our fans seem to not like our runs up the middle. But he was running up the middle, and Killens, his first, his long touchdown was up the middle. So the run game was incredible. Yeah, and Bentavious Thompson as well. And it's you know, and I always go back to one thing, and it, it always you know, and, and I've been critical of uh, uh, Coach Heifel's play calling myself, but it is amazing how much better the play calling is when the running game works. Yeah, and absolutely, and you know what? I think the passing game actually set up the running game in this in this particular game. 
Because in that first drive, Milton came out and he threw the ball four times, connected on all four passes. And I think that softened up the Temple defense and allowed us to run the ball later in the game. Yeah, and uh, you know what a great freshman season Dylan Gabriel's having, and it's it's just so interesting to see how he's maturing. And now, you know, after a couple of uh, rough road games, he got a good one under his belt. Yep, the first road game was the one at FAU, which was basically like a home crowd, and then the two tough ones, the one in Pittsburgh and the one in Cincinnati. So it's good to see him get you know some good winning experience out there outside the state of Florida. Yeah, so let me ask you this about you know we're a sick you know you know we're we're a team with only two losses, um, but you know if you if you if you just like didn't even look at the record and you just listen to the fan base and I know Twitter blows things up a little out of proportion, you'd think we were a four or five loss team. <laughs> you know it's you know the fan base obviously has high expectations because of the last two seasons, and it's really kind of hard to keep holding that up for a third straight year. Yeah, I think you just know this. The expectations come into the season. A lot of people were predicting a perfect season again for a third straight year, which is ridiculous to even think of. Nobody does that. So everybody was thinking with the schedule we have, if we got past those first four games, Pittsburgh and Stanford, that we would run the table. And it just didn't happen this year. The ball's not breaking our way every single time. Yeah. Remember, the, the perfect seasons that we did have, we had a lot of close games and a lot of breaks go our way. Oh, yeah. People think we just steamrolled through those seasons. We didn't. No, I mean, in fact, like if you even look at the Temple game a year ago, that was a that was a shootout for a while. Um, and, and then you just look at the fact that the two games we've lost were by a combined four points. Right. Yeah, go back to 2017. We could have lost that Cal game on Black Friday, the championship game to Memphis that year. Last year, we had a couple close ones. So... Yeah, one hey, one play goes our way in Pittsburgh. Uh, maybe a penalty we don't get on that drive. Uh, we had like th- two or three personal fouls on that one scoring drive they had late in the fourth quarter. Uh, in Cincinnati, a turnover doesn't go our way, and we win both of those games. Yeah, no question about it. And uh, interesting, uh, you know, sad news uh, broke this week. Charlie Taft, the uh, former offensive coordinator, passing away. He, of course, uh, was in the George O'Leary era, but. Uh, you know, he made great strides with the offense and w- played an important role in UCF football history as getting the first uh, BCS bowl win in the Fiesta Bowl against Baylor. Absolutely. Charlie Taft really revolutionized the offense at UCF because before he got there, we were under O'Leary's style of, you know, hand the ball off three yards in a cloud of dust. And he came in and really mixed in the RPO style. He let Blake run with it, especially in the Fiesta Bowl. I think his game plan in the Fiesta Bowl was brilliant. And... He really changed the whole way we look at offense at UCF. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, and uh, hopefully they'll have something to honor him uh, this weekend. The Knights play Houston, the space-themed game. How about those uniforms? Oh, man, those uniforms are incredible. Remember two years ago when they first started this, everybody lost their minds on how cool they were. And all they had really was like a moon patch on the shoulder. And... uh the decal had like a little moon thing on on, on the helmet. Mm-hmm. And now, two years later, they've gone ridiculous with them, and they look so cool, man. I, I really like the white versions of this this year's uniforms. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty cool, too, and uh, and kind of nice to see the Knights will get to wear white in a home game. And I got to tell you, man, that helmet may be the best helmet I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> oh, no kidding. And you know what? There's more things to it that I just found out today that I didn't know about it. Like, half the team... The back of it says one small step for man and the other half says one giant leap for mankind ah. which i didn't i didn't know about 
and they have a uh, a gold sticker of the the man landing on the moon with the flag, planting the flag, and just so many cool things about it. The countdown on the front. That usually the students have their own um, zip code, the area code. But this time they all have the three two one, which is the area code where where the space center is, and just every little detail, man. It's it's really really cool helmet. Yeah, I like the USA on the side of the pants too. That is just that, that is just really cool. And of course, they got a game against Houston, and the Cougars basically are having a disappointing season. They had higher hopes under Dana Holgerson in his first year, and Derek King has decided to redshirt. And basically, they kind of basically decided this year was kind of not going to be worth playing. I don't know if that might, might be a little too strong a word, but uh, they definitely kind of raised the white flag on it. Yeah, that was surprising to me. Coming into this season, when we were going through the schedule, I really thought this was going to be the game on the schedule. I thought this would be the marquee game. If we had a chance to get college game day back in town, I thought this was going to be the one. Yep, me too. Uh, Stanford was a little early in the year for it, and Pittsburgh was the other big one we circled. But we had blew out Pittsburgh last year, and this game with Derek King was really supposed to be the showdown. And when they decided to redshirt him, I was shocked. Yeah, that was a uh, pretty bizarre and uh, and and you know they got off to a rough start. They had a tough schedule to to begin with, and uh, so they are just kind of playing out the string at this point. Um, and you know you mentioned, and I was with you on that too. I kind of thought that this was a potential college game day site, but they're going to Memphis for the uh, SMU game. That looks like a like a heck of a showdown coming up there. And you know what I like about the fact that they are going to Memphis is that they snatched this away from Florida Georgia. <laughs> yeah, that is cool. They were they were at the cocktail party last year, and I think they've already done a couple Florida games. But it's it's cool to see the the American Conference getting another game day game, this showcase. And SMU is having a great year. Nobody saw this coming out of them. Memphis has been good now for the last couple years that we've seen in the championship games. They've been one play away from beating us the last two years, and they've had some big leads on us. So these are two good teams. It's good to see the conference as a whole with them and Cincinnati. Even Tulane's playing a lot better this year. Navy? It's a really strong conference. Yeah, Navy, absolutely. Yeah, it, no, it, it really is great to see. So they get another marquee matchup, both the game day and the ABC primetime slot. So uh, that's a pretty uh, pretty killer uh, work going on in the American, seeing the teams, you know, and I like to credit UCF for, you know, getting these other teams to raise their level. Exactly. Yeah, they say high tides raises all boats, right? And yeah. <laughs> we've been that team the last couple of years, and now you're seeing all the other teams had to compete to keep keep up with UCF, keep up with us over the last couple of years, and they've all looked a lot better this year. Yeah, no question about it. And uh, when uh, I did the guest picking uh, on Sons of UCF back in the early part of the season, uh, I believe uh, I learned you're a Giants fan. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yeah, well, you and I are going to be on opposite sides of the fence on Monday night. Yeah, I know. And um, my co-host... Adam is also a Cowboy fan, ah. and I, we usually record these the shows that we do on Monday nights. I'm gonna have to talk to him see if we can push it to Sunday. Even though I don't mind if I don't watch the Giants. I mean, <laughs> there hasn't been much to watch, but it's been kind of cool to see Daniel Jones. He's getting better and better each week. So I guess there's that. But the defense is just horrible. Yeah, I mean, and did you agree with it? The, the, the decision to go ahead and bench Eli. Well, I love Eli. He's my favorite Giant of all time. So. If it was if he wanted to play another ten years, I'd let him do it. I don't care if we even won another game. The guy <laughs> won me two Super Bowls, but I, I do understand what they're doing. The team is not going anywhere this year. The defense is, like I just said, is not good. So let J- Daniel Jones get in there and get some experience, and 
it'll be better for him next year instead of coming in, you know, without any game experience this year. Yeah. So um, come Saturday, uh, UCF Houston, uh, how do you think that game's going to play? I see us scoring a lot of points. The one thing, even when I thought Houston was going to be good, was I knew I thought their defense was pretty suspect. Last year, they gave up a lot of points, a lot of yards. I think Navy ran for like 8,000 yards on them in one game. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> to start the year this year, they didn't look any better. The game against Oklahoma, they did whatever they wanted to them. Uh, was it uh, Oklahoma? No, was it Washington State mm-hmm. early in the year? Yep. They put up a lot of points. So they haven't been able to stop anybody. And when we're at home, we've almost been unstoppable on offense. We've been scoring, I think, 21 points in the first quarter almost every game at home. So as long as we get off to a good start, don't turn the ball over. I expect us to put up a lot of points and win pretty easily. But they may keep hang in there for the first quarter or two. And how do you think the rest of the season plays out? I think it's, it would be really great if, if UCF could run the rest of the schedule and get to be a 10-win team. Oh, that would be great. You know, there's nothing else we can really hope for. Other than that, that's all we can control. I mean, we can hope Cincinnati loses a couple and gives us a shot in the championship game. It stinks that we actually have to sit around and wait for another team to lose. But it is what it is. And, you know, as long as we – I would be happy even if we didn't get to the conference championship game if we made a bowl game and played against FSU and Miami. That's what I would like to see. <laughs> that would make things interesting at least. Yeah, no, that def- that definitely would. And, you know, and if you if you put down on paper that, uh, you know, after two undefeated seasons and they got another double-digit winning season, that's uh, you know still goes away to what they're trying to build and what the culture they're trying to portray as a long-term uh, powerhouse. Yeah, this is going to be our fourth year in a row going to a bowl game now. We just clinched that with our sixth win last week, and that's the longest streak we've ever had. We've never gotten to four in a row. That's something good. And Really, what is? I think it's like seven of the last eight years we'll be going to a bowl game. The one being the 2015 season, but we didn't win a game. But 2012, 2013, 14, 16, 17, 18, and now 19, bowling every year. Yeah, and then uh, as you mentioned, uh, co-host of the Sons of UCF with uh, Adam, and uh, you know, tell the folks a little bit about the program who have not heard it. Uh, that you know, I plug you guys all the time on on my podcast as well as on the AAC Report. But uh, for those who haven't uh, had a chance to check you out, you, you know, make your sales pitch. Yeah, Adam and I are just two fans. That's all we are. We're not media guys. I've never done a radio show. I've never done anything until he called me last year right before the season and he said he wanted to do this show and he from the very first episode he sounded polished like he's been doing it for years and i was like oh man i don't know how i'm gonna keep up with this guy i just don't want to you know hold him back because he i think he's got a career ahead of himself in this industry for sure so we're just two fans man and he called me and he with the idea and said you want to talk to ucf i said sure you know i'll help you out and it's been a lot of fun man. it's just Basically, it's me sitting in the garage talking about the games that we just watched, talking about the games coming up, and all the good times we've had watching the games, you know, our favorite players, all the stories we've had, and I just had a blast doing it, man. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and you guys uh, get some uh, great guests as well, and, uh, uh, you know, the George O'Leary uh, was great, and uh, and and then and then I also, of course, the, uh, who did you interview that uh, relayed the White Horse story? Oh, that was uh, Justin Holman. Justin Holman, yes, yes. <laughs> that, I think, is the best thing we've done now in a year and a half, is find out that George O'Leary's nickname was the White Horse. And then we've confirmed it with about five other players. But we still haven't found out who 
came up with the name? Who invented that? Uh-huh. So I'm going to spend the rest of my time on our show trying to figure that out. Well, good. And uh, that'll give us something definitely to look forward to on that. So UCF Mike from the Sons of UCF on the Nightline Sports Network. Thanks for uh, taking time to join me. Hey, Jeff, it was a pleasure, man. I really enjoy all the work you've been doing and all the shows you do. The AAC Report and your Jeff Allen's show. It's all great, man. It's I'm really impressed with your work. Appreciate the kind words, sir. All right. Thank you so much, man. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Kramer Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. It's made from the finest ingredients so it stops itching, heals hot spots, and painful inflamed skin. Kramer Salve contains a proprietary blend of neem, an ingredient known for its healing properties. A 4-ounce 6-month supply, including shipping, is just $30, and the 2-ounce 3-month supply, including shipping, is only $20. Help your dog end the itch and hot spot cycle. Order today at KramerSalve.net. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E. LVE.net.